Well, good morning. How are you? Good. Good to, good to be here with you worshiping today. Thank you for, for being with us uh, this morning. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to greet you, my name is Pastor Kevin, uh, one of the uh, elders here at Restoration Church, and uh, just thankful for the opportunity to, to be here worshiping with you today. I was looking at the calendar this week. It's almost Memorial Day. Like, is anybody else like, where did this year go? It's just gone and gone and gone. So my wife and I were, were thinking, well, what are our plans for the summer? You know, anybody, anybody got plans for your summer yet? Anybody got like a vacation plan? What do you guys have here? Montana. Is there any, what, what is there to do in Montana? Glacier. That, that's true. That's true. There is, there is Montana. Anybody else got something scheduled right here? What? Disneyland. There we go. $15 cheeseburgers. We love it. Uh, Anna? Flor- Florida. Do you need a friend? Florida sounds like, actually, you know, I don't know, Florida, isn't it really humid in the summer? Okay, all right, anybody else got anything fun this summer? What? Horseback riding, that sounds like good, I wouldn't mind that. You know, I, I start thinking about summer and, and, and summer plans, and there's so many things going on in the summer, and, and this is good, we want to we wanna enjoy uh, the summer, want you to enjoy the summer, but one of the things within church is we want to somehow stay connected to each other. And so at Restoration Church, we've got some things we're going to roll out um, this week and next week just to encourage you to stay connected to the church body while you're going to Florida and whatever else you're doing. Uh, one of the simple things we're going to do is next week we are going to uh, roll out with a kind of a summer Bible reading plan that we can all be reading the Bible together. So if you're not already in a Bible reading plan, I'd uh, love to be, for you to take one of these next week and uh, just be able to say, hey, let's be reading the same things. Let's be thinking about the same things as we go and travel and do the things we're doing. Uh, the other thing I want to do this week is uh, uh, something new. Uh, I've never tried this before. It might be a flop, but we're going to try it anyways, okay? It, it, we're going to do this hashtag called Restoration Vacation, all right? So here's, how, if you don't know how to hashtag find anybody under 16 and they will teach you how to hashtag, all right? But what happens is you're going to go on vacation and you're going to go to Florida and, and Disneyland and all these places. And if you just take a simple picture of yourself wherever you are and, and you put it on any social media, you put it on Facebook, you put it on Instagram, you put it on Twitter, with that hashtag, Restoration Vacation, what we can do is each week we'll look for those hashtags and see if we find anybody someplace fun. And we'll just share where you are and just kind of live vicariously through your vacation and imagine we could be with you in Florida. And just to be able to see where people are, it's just kind of a fun way to stay connected this summer. So uh, write that down as you travel. Uh, just remember, uh, hashtag Restoration vacation, and uh, we'll see how that works for us this summer. And so as we're, we're talking vacation, my wife and I were uh, thinking, you know, what were some of our favorite vacations? And I was thinking about some of my favorite vacations. And we did the Disney thing a couple years ago, and the Disney thing was fun, but man, there's a lot of walking. Like the end of the day, you're just beat and your feet hurt. Uh, maybe that's just the older you get, that's the way it works. The kids didn't really seem to have a problem. Uh, but the older I get, the more I find my body just doesn't uh, handle that well. I thought we like to tent. We like to go camping. I like to do tent camping. Uh, the problem is, is I've got four boys. And you put four boys in a tent, and that's a pretty stinky tent. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And uh, that's just boys and their shoes and, and whatever else. It's just, that's just, you know, that's camping with boys. I, I, I love it. But my, my absolute favorite vacation ever. Uh, uh, this past year, uh, we had the opportunity to go on a cruise. 
And we went on a cruise through, through the Disney Cruise Line. And this was, this was such an amazing thing because the, the hospitality that you experience on one of these cruise lines. So the, the employees are called cast members. And, and basically, I don't know exactly how they're trained, but, but they're taught to pay attention to every detail. To, to think about anything that could come up and to take care of that for you. And they just pay such uh, great attention to, to details to make it such a, a great experience. So, for example, the cabin that we stayed in. Like, like every day they would come in twice a day and they, they, they'd make the beds. They'd get the beds ready. They'd, they'd clean up the cabin. Uh, they would take uh, and put little chocolates on your pillows and then this was really weird where I, I, my socks were left out. I know it's not a good habit, but my socks were left out. My wife won't even touch my socks, okay? But they folded my socks and put them right there. And I'm like, wow, you guys like did so much. I can't believe you did that. Then we go into the dining room and we're getting ready to eat. And my kids, they order a steak, okay? And not only do they feed your kids steak, but then the guy came and cut up their steak for them. And they're sitting there cutting it up for my kids. And I'm like, who does that, you know? You order an entree. And, and let's just say, for example, you order, uh, uh, you order I don't know, tenderloin. And you're, uh, you take a bite of it. I don't really like this entree. They'll bring you another entree. And then when you get to desserts, you're like, I can't choose. And they're like, great, we'll bring you both. And you can have, and it's, I mean, this attention to detail is so uh, marvelous. It's, it's something that we stood back and we were amazed. Because really, these people went above and beyond their service to me and to my family. And it made us feel like we weren't just a guest. It made us feel like we were special. We were special, just like the other 4,000 people on the ship. We were special. And when I, I think about this, I think about the treatment they gave us. I mean, it wasn't necessary. Like, we would have had a good experience if, if they didn't do all these little things for us. But man, it was, it was amazing. And it, and it left us feeling so chosen. It left us feeling so honored. And it was just an amazing thing. Now, reality of it is you pay a high price for Disney treatment. This is not the, the always the case in our life. We aren't always treated with this kind of respect and, and honor and, and esteem. Most often in life, people kind of give you the very least. They kind of figure out, well, this is the least amount I have to give to you to just move forward. And, and so it feels like for the most time, that's the way people give, is they give just enough. This is our, our human tendency. We become so self-focused. Our, our, our goal is to please ourselves, to honor ourselves, to look out for ourselves instead of serving other people and being generous to other people and loving other people like that. And that's why when we have that kind of experience, it's, it's a rare occasion. It's something that you hold on to as, as, a, as, a, as a good memory because it's so unique. Even in relationships, we look at good Christian relationships, we see the same thing. Like we understand the principle that Philippians 2 talks about, about how we're supposed to not look only to our own interests, but look to the interests of others and consider others more significant than ourselves. I mean, we get that. We're Christians. We understood that we understand that Philippians 2 principle. Yet, how many, how many times in our friendships, in our marriages, in our extended families, in our workplaces with our coworkers, how many times do we have issues that arise? Uh, and problems in those relationships because we're upset because we weren't treated the way that we felt we should have been treated. Or the other person didn't do what we anticipated that they should do or expected them to do. 
It's because we become self-focused. And so those moments where we are lavished, where we are treasured and cherished, those are remarkable experiences that we are to remember because they are not the everyday norm. With that introduction, if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to Ruth chapter 2. We're in a series called Redeeming Ruth. Uh, taking a look at the, the story of, of Ruth in your Bible. Ruth is the eighth book of the Bible. If you start from the first half in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And this idea in Ruth is that God is seeking redemption. God is seeking to redeem. He's seeking to redeem people. He's seeking to redeem relationships, redeem families, redeem cities. We serve a God of redemption. And if you have not been here the last couple of weeks, I'm going to kind of catch you up on where we've been. The story starts with a guy by the name of Abimelech. And Abimelech has his wife and he's got two sons and they live in, in Bethlehem. The problem is in Bethlehem, there's a drought. So there's no food, there's no money, there's no work. And so Abimelech, he's like a normal guy. And he says, well, I'm going to solve this problem. And I hear that there is, uh, there is good weather and there's, there's good uh, produce in uh, Moab. And so he makes the decision to leave Bethlehem, which was the city of God, where, where God's people resided, and go to a foreign pagan land called Moab, which was not a good decision at all. This is a place they didn't worship the one true God. They didn't recognize the one true God. They, they worshiped false gods. And so, so Abimelech decides to move his family away from what's good and healthy and, and the church and from Christians to a place where they're all on their own. So his sons, they marry Moabite women. Not a good idea as well. Like, listen to you single guys. Don't marry a Moabite woman. Just my free advice for you. And so they're in, they're in Moab and, and, and devastation arrives. Abimelech dies. And then the two sons die. And so now Naomi, she's left devastated. She's got no one to provide for her. She's got these two daughter-in-laws. She's in this foreign land. There's no church. There's no Christian friends around her to support her and to build her up. And so she's devastated. What am I supposed to do? As As a widow, there wasn't much opportunity for her to get a job to provide for herself. And so she was in a tough spot. And she hears that God has returned to Bethlehem, that his blessing has returned. And they've, they've been given produce again and their fields are going. And so she makes a decision. She makes a decision, I'm going to return to Bethlehem. I'm going to return to God's people. I'm going to return to where I'm supposed to be. She tries to send her daughter-in-law's home. She says, girls, listen, if you go with me to Bethlehem, listen, you're going to be an outsider. You're a Moabite. There's not a good opportunity for you to find a job. There's no guarantee that you will find a husband. There's no guarantee of anything uh, physically from this world. Ladies, go home and, and, and try and, and make your life better. One of the daughter-in-laws, Orpah, says, okay, I'm going to go home and, and I'm going to listen to the wisdom of this world. Remember Ruth, she makes that confession. She says, no, no, Naomi, your God is going to be my God. And your people are going to be my people. And she makes a decision. She has this conversion experience where she decides, I'm in. I'm going to follow after God. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to live this way. So they return to, to Bethlehem. And this is where we picked up last week. 
Ruth makes a decision. She says, I want to go and glean. Now, gleaning in this day was kind of like the Israelite welfare system. Uh, the farmers, they would take their, their fields and they would leave the corners and the edges, they would leave untouched. So they could harvest from the inside of the field, but they left the corners. So that way, anybody who was poor, anybody who was a widow, anybody who was an alien, a foreigner, they could come and, and they could glean and they could bring in whatever was left and they could feed themselves on that. And so Ruth makes a decision, hey, I'm going to go and look for favor for somebody so I can go and glean. And it just so happens, it just so happens that she arrives in, in, in a field by, the name of, by a man by the name of Boaz. And Boaz extends her the great grace. He says, you know what, you are welcome to, to, to glean in my field. In fact, I'm going to look out for you and tell everybody to leave you alone and to let you just do your thing. And, 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 and so he gives her this grace. Now, if we think about just like Boaz extending that grace to her, saying, it's okay, you can glean in my field. I'm going to tell the people to leave you alone. Like, that doesn't require much of him. Like, that's, I mean, that's grace. But, that, I mean, that's not costing him anything. I mean, who does he care if, if she's there or not? There's not, uh, there's not, nothing extravagant about that. It's just a little bit of grace. And, and we go through and we experience times like this where we have this little bit of grace where somebody gives us a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of something, and you're like, ah, oh, thank you. You know, that's graceful. I'm, I'm thankful for it. But here in Ruth chapter 2, uh, we're going to see this redeeming generosity. We're going to see this overwhelming generosity that Boaz is going to extend to Ruth. And he's going to move beyond grace to generosity. Now, I just got to get this out because I heard it this week. And it just, you know, forgive me, maybe you know this song. But here's what Ruth needs. Ruth needs a little Boaz in her life. Anybody know that song? Am I making a fool of myself? Anybody know that song? Oh my gosh, I got a few smiles from that one. I was really working on that. I expected more. All right. Ruth chapter 2, before we, uh, before we jump in, would you just join me in a word of prayer? God, just uh, thank you for this opportunity to open up your word today. God, thankful for the opportunity just to be in your word. That, God, we're not here to listen to a pastor's opinion on the best way to live or even listen to a pastor sing. Uh, but, God, we're here to open up your word. So, God, I pray that you would speak to us. God, that you would draw us in. God, you know exactly what it is that we need to hear today. So, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us loudly and clearly today. Give us understanding, God. Uh, we love you and praise you and plead for your presence with us now. In your name, amen. So in Ruth chapter 2, we need to understand that uh, everywhere from verse 2 to verse 22 takes, uh, takes place over a full day, a single day. And so Boaz, he extended that grace to her in the morning, and now it's going to pick up uh, right after that. And it says in verse 14 is where we're going to be. And it says, And at mealtime, Boaz said to Ruth, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. Like, I read this, and I think, like, I wish, like, like, how many of you wish you had a boss like Boaz? Like, he walks in first part of the day, and he says, bless you, my employees, bless you all. And now it's lunchtime, and he provides lunch for all of his employees. Like, that's a good boss. Like, like, like that's a good business principle right there, taking care of the people that work for you. But Ruth, was Ruth an employee? No. Remember, Ruth was an employee. She was a, she was a, she was a gleaner. 
And so she was a, an outsider who had the opportunity to come in after the employees to see what was left to try and, and provide. And Ruth wasn't just a gleaner. Remember, she was a Moabite. She was worse of the worst. She was not accepted there in Israel because she was a Moabite, because the Moabites had this horrible reputation. And so if you can just picture what's happening here, you know, picture Kawichi Canyon, the restaurant up here on Yakima Avenue. Picture, picture Olive Garden, okay? Ruth would have been the gal who comes knocking on the back door and says, hey, hey, you know what, guys? I'm new to town. You know, I don't have any money. I don't have any food. I'm really hungry. I've got this mother-in-law I'm trying to provide for. Could you just help a little bit? Could you just do something to help us out? This is what it would have been for her to be a gleaner. This would have been her, her life. And so here's lunchtime. And Boaz comes out into the field. And he seeks out Ruth. He says, Ruth, I want you to come with me. I want you to take the bread and I want you to dip it in the wine. Now, maybe lunchtime's a little early for that. I'm not judging. I'm just saying it's just, that's what this text says. And, and, and he says, he says, I want you to, to have a seat at the table. I want you to sit next to my reapers, to sit next to my employees. And I want to give you some of this roasted grain. Now, I don't know what roasted grain is, but it sure sounds really good. You know, like I've got this uncle and he's got a deep fryer. Now, now. You can do weird things in a deep fire, but let me tell you, like, like, like Oreos. Oreos are good by themselves, right? Like anybody like a good Oreo? Come on, let's be honest. You can sit and pack a whole pan, can. There we go. Like Oreos by themselves are good, but you take an Oreo and you put it in a deep fryer, man, it's like off the chain. I'm just saying, you should try it. Try it. You will not be disappointed, okay? So I don't know what this roasted grain is, but it just sounds good. It sounds really good. And so we need to understand what's happening here. Remember, Ruth was a foreigner. Ruth was a widow. Ruth was poor. In that society, Ruth was a nobody. She was a loser. She was an outcast. And here around this table, you have all the important people. You have all the important people around, even Boaz. Remember, he was a worthy man. He was a successful man. He was a man of war. He was a wealthy man. And here you've got Boaz with all of his important people around him. And we can understand, he can give permission for her to glean. Sure, you can glean. I don't really care. It's not going to bother me too much. You're not going to interfere with my day. I mean, it's kind of like, like having a homeless man on the corner. Like, like, sure, I don't mind you panhandling. I might even give you a dollar. It's not going to hurt me to allow you to do this. But here, Boaz is going to move beyond just tolerating Ruth. He's going to move beyond, uh, beyond just uh, tolerating her being in his field. Now he's going to seek her out. He's going to choose her. And he's going to invite her into that table. And at this table, that gives her value. That gives her dignity. That gives her respect and honor and equality with everybody at that table. I mean, here's Ruth with this outsider status. A Moabite woman. She's a loser and an outcast. And now, by inviting her into the table, Boaz is is moving her to an insider status. He's saying, you are accepted at this table with all these people. You are chosen. You are welcomed. You are valued. You are honored. Think about how to, how to portray this. 
had the opportunity to uh, work in an inner city youth center for seven and a half years, Madison House. And had a great opportunity to work with uh, a ton of kids through there. And I remember uh, a couple, couple years after I, got, uh, after, after I was working there, uh, there was a group in Yakima started called the Citizens for Safe Yakima. And they're looking at our community as a whole, saying, we've got some brokenness in our community. We've got, we've got gang issues. We've got, we've got all these issues in our city. We need to do something about it. And so they started getting panels together and they were looking and saying, hey, we want, we want to get some people around the table who can speak with authority about what's happening, about what needs to be done. And they called me up and they said, hey, Kevin, hey, we've heard about the work that you're doing there at Madison House. We've heard about the work that you're doing with these at-risk uh, young people. They said, hey, we'd like to invite you to come in and, and meet with our crew, uh, sit around the table and, and give us some insight as to what our city needs to do to deal with these issues in our community. Man, and I walked into that room. And I walked into that table. Man, I felt proud. Like, I felt honored. Like, I was chosen. I was recognized. I was given a, a position of honor because I was around the table. And there's all these people. There's, there's city councilmen. There's, there's all these people around the table. And I, it was like this, this feeling of, 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 I have a voice. I have value. I have dignity in what I'm doing. This is how Ruth would have felt having the opportunity to eat at this table. This is, this is for you. It's, it's in your workplace. When you have the opportunity, when your boss comes and says, hey, hey, I want your opinion about what we can do to make things better. This is where the church calls you and says, hey, we want to extend a position of leadership to you. We need you uh, involved in the ministry here. This is immediately a sense of, of value, of, of appreciation, of, of honor and esteem. You become uh, welcomed. And so here's Boaz extending this invitation to Ruth. Hey, come and be a part of this table. You are invited, you are chosen, and you are welcomed right here. This is at the table she ate until she was satisfied. You think about about Ruth's life. When was the last time you think she ate till she was satisfied? It had probably been a while. And not not only did she eat till she was satisfied... But it says that she had some left. She, she took a doggy bag home. Like that's the time when you go out to a restaurant and you eat this meal. And you're like, man, man, this is good. And, and I've got this little bit left over. And it's going to be really good tonight about midnight when I get that midnight, midnight hunger. Like I'm going to warm this up and it's going to be just as good just a little bit later. And so this was, this was an amazing amount of generosity. Of Boaz seeking Ruth out, bringing her in, giving her this amazing meal, and and allowing her to feel accepted, welcomed, needed at that table. The question is, how is Ruth going to respond? Like, this was an amazing experience. And you think about you and I, like, how would we respond? Like, we're around this table with all these people, with all these respected people. Would we kind of chum it up, you know? Like we belong and, hey, you know, tell me what you're going on. Here's what I've got going on. Feel like we belong and try, try and play the part. Maybe, maybe, maybe if you were invited to that table, maybe you'd try and take advantage of it. You know, like she's going day to day just trying to get food. And here she is. She had this great meal. She's full. You think she could just go home and take the rest of the day off? Hey, I don't need any more food today. I'm good. I'll, you know, go back tomorrow. Maybe he'll invite me to the table again. I mean, you think about how you would respond. And here's Ruth's response, verse 15. It says, when she rose to glean, she gets up from the table 
Everybody's still around the table. She gets up from the table and goes back out into the field to glean. This is a portrait into her character. She is showing that hard work is a, is a necessary function. I mean, the tendency that we have is when we're given grace, when we're given uh, generosity, when we're given a blessing from God, the tendency is, man, I'm going to take the easy road. I'm going to take it easy now because I've been given this blessing. I've received this good thing. And so, you know, I've got enough for now so I can just take it easy. But Ruth shows a different attitude. She shows a humility. She shows hard work. I mean, she's been given this amazing generosity, given this place at the table, and then she goes right back out to glean. She carried a load when others wouldn't have. And God, and God began to add to that. Listen, maybe, maybe this is what it is that you need to be encouraged with today. Just to work hard. Just to work hard. I mean, I had a, had a sports coach growing up when I was in school, and he used to say this. He used to say, Hard work trumps talent every time. Hard work trumps talent every time. And you might feel, you know, well, I don't have this a great ability. I don't have this, I don't have the great skills. I don't have a great pedigree. I didn't come from a, a great family. We came from a low-class family. We've got all these things against me. And, and others have a greater advantage. And listen, this is where it says hard work trumps that talent every time. I mean, you think about your workplace you think about your classroom if you're a student. You think about your relationships. Man, those things that are hard and difficult for you, man, work hard at them. Work hard at them. And you will see things begin to grow and things begin to bless. And God will honor that when we work hard. There's a, there's a spiritual principle based off this. Jesus talks about it in Luke chapter 16. Jesus says, Luke 16, he says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. This idea, work hard, be faithful, and trust that God will bless that. There's an author and a pastor by the name of John Ortberg, and he, he wrote this on the same idea. He said, sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is work hard. Sometimes that is the most spiritual thing that you and I can do. We think about our spiritual life. We think about our Christian life. Well, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we're the most vocal Christian. We're always talking about God. Maybe, maybe, we, uh, maybe we always post Facebook, you know, post our, our Bible verses and our, and our witty sayings about God on Facebook. And, and so everybody knows that we're a Christian. But listen, listen, it means nothing if we don't actually have the character behind it to, to live that faith out. This is, where, this is where you can get the tattoo, you can, you can wear the necklace, and you can, you can have the bumper sticker. But listen, if you drive like crap, it just doesn't really matter. People aren't going to believe what they see unless there's the character and the, 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 the hard work behind it to, to show that this is true. This is why sometimes the most spiritual thing that you and I can do is just work hard. I mean, here's, here's Ruth. She's been given this great blessing. She's been given this great generosity, invited to the table. And she's, she, she's been chosen. She's not working for that spot at the table. She's already been given that spot at the table. And in response to that, response to that generosity, she works even harder out of an attitude of gratitude, of saying, man, I've been blessed. And now because of that, I want to respond and work just as hard. So she gets up and gleaned and here's, Here's what happens next, verse 15. It says, 
When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Here's Boaz extending more generosity to Ruth. He orders the workers, hey, 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 don't just let her stay in the corners and on the, on the, on the edges of the property. If she moves towards the middle, just let her go. Let her glean wherever she wants to glean. Don't reproach her. Don't correct her. Don't say you don't belong here. You let her glean wherever she wants. And not only that, it says in verse 16, and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So there's, there's, there's like, there's no 10 second rule with, with the employees. The employees were told as you're harvesting, if you drop anything, you have to leave it for the gleaners to come and get. And he's telling the workers, here's what you're going to do. As you're harvesting, you drop a little piece. Oops, I didn't mean to drop that pile, but Ruth, you can go ahead and pick that up. And, and go a little bit more and drop a little bit more. And just keep giving to her and drop these piles of blessing for Ruth to come and pick up. This is generosity at its greatest. This is him trying to figure out, how can I give more to this woman? Well, how much how much generosity did he give to her? In verse 17, it says, So she gleaned in the field until evening. She worked all day long. And then she beat out what she had gleaned, which means she, she separates the useful oats from the waste. And, 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 and it was about an ephah of barley. Anybody know what an ephah of barley is? Imagine a five and a half gallon bucket. Imagine a five gallon bucket full of oats. Would have weighed probably about 30 pounds. She, she, she earned, she, she gleaned uh, 30 pounds, a five and a half gallon bucket of barley in a single day. Now, context, you got to understand how much that is. Like if you were a male worker, you were one of the employees for Boaz, your normal day's rate, pay rate, would have been one to two pounds. Like that's what you would have been given for going and working in this man's field was one to two pounds of barley. And here is Boaz in a single day with 30 pounds of barley. I mean, I mean, this, this would have been enough for her and Naomi to last for two full weeks. I mean, just imagine this would have been the equivalent of earning like, like $1,500 to $2,000 in a single day without breaking any laws. Like it's all legit. It's all legal. Like, this is the generosity that he has extended to, to Ruth. And again, we look at this and say, how is she going to respond? Here she is. She's been given this, this amazing generosity, this lavish generosity. How is she going to respond? In verse 18, it says, And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her food, uh, what food she had left over after being satisfied. She takes it all home. Says, Naomi, this is for us. Naomi, my doggy bag I got earlier from that amazing roasted grain. I brought it home for you. And I'm going to share it with you. You see, something, something happens when we receive grace. Something happens when we receive this amazing generosity. It's kind of like eating a prune. It just goes right through you, if you know what I mean by that. And Ruth, Ruth took what she had earned. She took that, that 30 pounds of barley and she took those leftovers and she brought them home and said, Naomi, this is for us. This is for you. And listen, this is the way it works. When we truly receive grace, when we truly receive generosity, it flows right through us. 
It flows right through us to those around us. Because when we truly receive that grace and we receive generosity, we understand that we don't deserve any of this. Ruth understands. But just this morning, Ruth was still an outcast. She was still a loser. She was still a nobody. She was still a foreigner. And then because of this generosity, she is, is chosen by Boaz. She didn't earn it. She didn't, she didn't deserve it. It is this amazing generosity. And she understands this doesn't belong to me. I don't deserve any of this. Listen, and when we begin to understand that the, the blessings in our life, the, 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 the grace in our life, when we understand that we don't deserve that blessing, like we don't deserve the grace and the favor that has been extended to every one of us, we begin to understand that all of that comes from God. Even the fact that we wake up today with, with air in our lungs is a gift from God. And all those things that we value, our family, our job, uh, our, our house, all those things come from God. And this is where we need to fight against the entitlement that, that us as Americans typically have. Like we're entitled to all these things. We're so wonderful, so we deserve all these things. This is actually God being extremely generous to us, providing everything good that we have in our lives. And listen, when we begin to realize this, when we realize that God is the one who gives all these things, see, no longer do we feel entitled to them. Now we understand them. They truly are a blessing. They truly are a gift from a generous God. And when we understand that, we don't own it, we don't expect it, then it just begins to flow through us to the people around us. We become generous to others around us. This could be something materially of how it plays in our life. Like, like God has blessed you materially, and you know that God has blessed you. And when you understand that, that God is the one who's given you what you have, then it's so easy for that to flow right through us to the people around us. And as a pastor, I get the chance to see this all the time. For example, this week, there was a, there was a request that was made. Hey, could you help us out in this simple way? Could you do something for us and, and meet this need for us? And I said, yeah, we can do that. That's, that's, that's easy. I'd love to be able to do that. And I had the chance to meet with somebody and they're like, oh, what are you going to do today? And I said, I got to do this. And he said, you know what? God has been gracious to me. God has been generous to me. Can I just, can I just meet that? Can I just take care of that for you? Can I meet that need? I'm like, yes. This is what happens when we understand like what, we're, what we've been given. Like, like our material blessing is a gift from God. Then it just flows right back to us, right back through us to the people around us because we understand, man, I don't, it's not because I'm wonderful that God has blessed me. It's because of God's grace. It's not mine. So I'm going to be generous with it to the people around us. Listen, this can also not just be materially, it could also be relationally. I think about forgiveness and it scares me when I read the Bible of how many times the Bible talks about, Bible talks about, uh, if we don't forgive others, then how can we expect God to forgive us? I guess scares me reading that time and time again. I mean, how can we expect God to forgive our horrendous sin against him? Yet we won't forgive those around us. Like we think about our sin that we've committed against God. Our sin was so horrendous that it sent his son Jesus to the cross. That he had to die for our sin. And God has said, I'll forgive you for that. 
Yet we won't forgive the person who does this or that to us. And it's that sucker punch to me every time I read that. On how I want to receive God's forgiveness and his grace. And in order for me to receive it, I have to then extend that generosity and that forgiveness and that grace to the people around me. And it flows right through me. Listen, this is what makes us as Christians different. When we understand, like all that we've been given, all that God has done for us is not because we're amazing. It's not because we're entitled. It's not because we've earned it. It's because of God's grace. Because he looked at us and said, you know what? I'm going to give this to you, even though you don't deserve it. And listen, as Christians, when we understand that, then that is what flows right through us. That is what other people around us look and say, hey, you're different. You're generous. You're forgiving. Why are you like this? And that's when we say, because we have a God who has been generous to me. And I have a God who has forgiven me. And when he does that, it flows right through me to the people around me. Listen, there's even more generosity that Boaz is going to give to Ruth. Ruth gets home and she has this conversation with Naomi. Verse 19 And it says, and Ruth said to her mother-in-law, or her mother-in-law said to Ruth, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. I see all this barley. Somebody took notice of you. Blessed be him. And so Ruth told her mother-in-law, whom she had worked, and said, the man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. Drop down to verse 21. And she said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all of the harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, uh, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. Okay? This wasn't just a one-day thing. Boaz wasn't just saying, Hey, you come in for one day, you glean, let me bless you for one day. No, this lasted the entire harvest. Harvest would have been around six weeks. So I'm assuming that Boaz's generosity continued to, to Ruth every day. And you, you picture this, okay? She earned probably $1,500 in a single day, okay? Let's just say she worked and gleaned six days a week, and she then gleaned for six weeks through the, all of harvest. This would have been the equivalent of $54,000 that she would have been given by Boaz for six weeks' worth of Do you see that generosity? Just lavishing it on her. Let me bless you. Let me gift you. Let me encourage you. Let me give this to you. And not only does he provide this immediate source of generosity, but there's a future generosity that Boaz has the opportunity to provide. Look back at verse 19. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, this man's name, uh, whom I worked today, was with Boaz. Verse 20, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Man, his kindness has, has not forsaken our family. My, my dead husband, your, your dead husband, my two dead son-in-laws, his, his grace and generosity has honored them. The end of verse 22, she says, Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. It just so happens that Ruth goes to Boaz's field. 
It just so happens that Boaz welcomes her into the field, allows her to glean. It just so happens that Boaz invites Ruth to the table. And it just so happens that Boaz is a close relative of the family, one of their redeemers. A redeemer does this. Leviticus 25 talks about what a redeemer does. And that day there was no, when you had debt, you couldn't declare bankruptcy. There was no ability to say, hey, I can't pay my debts. I'm just going to chapter or file chapter 11 and be done with it and move past it. When you had this debt, there was two ways for you to pay off that debt. Either you would sell yourself as a slave. So you would go work for somebody for no income in order for you to pay back the debt that you owed. Okay? That was one way to pay off your debt. The other way to pay off the debt would be to sell your land. Now, we have to understand on both of those things. If you sold yourself as a slave, then you would devastate your family. Because you would have no income for who knows how long. Wouldn't be able to provide for your family. You do that, and then all of a sudden now you can't afford to take care of the farm. Can't afford to take care of the land. Now we got to remember, like this, this is an agrarian society. Like they needed farming. Like you lived on the farm. You worked on the farm. You ate off the farm. This is how you survived. The land was a big deal. Like the land, the land was important for generations to come. And so when you were, were in debt and you sold your land, man, this was a disgrace to your great-great-great-great-great-grandpa before you, as well as a disgrace to your great-great-grandchildren who could come after you because the land was that significant to the family. The family needed the land to survive. And a redeemer would be the person who'd come in. They'd say, you know what? I'll pay off that debt. I'll pay off that debt to redeem that person from slavery. I'll pay off that debt to, to buy back the land and bring it back into the family, to give the family a future. This is what a redeemer would do. A redeemer would then also be responsible for the wives and for the children if there was any, uh, any that played out. So not only does Boaz give her this immediate generosity, but we see this hint that Boaz may be able to give generosity to this family for a long time in the future. Verse 23, last verse, closes and says, So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, I don't know about you. Like, as I read this story, I think, man, that sounded wonderful. Like, I would love to be on the receiving end of Boaz's generosity. Like, I'd love to go to work for him for six weeks. That'd be a great six weeks, right? Like, I'd love, I'd love for somebody to invite me to the table where I could feel like I belong, like, like, I, like I'm, I'm, I'm valued, like I have dignity. I'd love to be at the point where I was accepted. And listen, some of us are saying that's not my story. I would say that's not my story. I feel a little more like Ruth, the outcast. I feel like, 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 like Ruth, like I'm, I'm broken. Like I've got a ton of baggage that I'm bringing around with me everywhere I go. Like I've got these, these hardships that I've gone through. I've got these things in my life that I carry with me, these, these hardships, this baggage. And I would say, man, nobody would want me at their table. Like, like I don't know why any Boaz would come to me and say, hey, I want you at my table. And I look at my story and I say, Ruth, that's great for you. But that's not my story. I haven't been invited to the table. 
I haven't been chosen. I haven't been welcomed. Listen, there's another table. There's a table that every one of us in here are invited to. The invitation is there. Jesus offered the invitation to every one of us. He said, all who are weary and heavy burdened, come unto me and I will give you rest. Jesus said, here's our invitation in John chapter 1. He said, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, Boaz, he's a, he, he, he's a, he's a picture of God. He's a picture of God. Ruth wasn't invited to the table because she earned it. She carried all that baggage and all that brokenness to that table with her. And Boaz invited her to the table and he said, I'm going to pay the price for you. I'm going I'm 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 to give this generosity to you. Listen, God's table is the very same way. God has paid the price for you. In fact, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus was having dinner with his disciples. And he used to do something that we call the Lord's table. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this represents my body that has been broken for you. This is a picture of me purchasing your spot at the table, inviting you in to say, you are accepted. You are welcomed because of what I did for you on the cross. And then Jesus took the cup he said, this represents my blood that has been shed for you. This is my way of purchasing your seat at the table. Of saying, you belong at my table because of what I've done for you. Not because you have so much to offer, but because of what Jesus did for us. Listen, the invitation for you and I is there. We have an opportunity, not just at Boaz's table, but at God's table. Not just to be tolerated, not just to be allowed to be in the vicinity and in the field, but to be chosen, to be honored, to be welcomed, to be accepted, to be given dignity and a purpose at the table of God. This is what Jesus has done for us. And the invitation to every one of us is there. You have the opportunity to come to this table today. If you have not trusted Jesus as your Savior, listen, the invitation to you is clear. Call out to God. Repent of your sin. Invite him in your heart. And come today and and receive the Lord's table. Listen, if you're a believer already here today, celebrate the fact that you are accepted, that you belong that despite what this world throws at you, you have a place that you belong, that you are accepted, not because of what you have to offer, but because of what Jesus has done for you. We don't deserve the spot at the table, but God's grace and generosity looks down at every one of us and says, you're welcomed. I accept you. I want you. Come to me now. Would you pray with me? God, I just want to be 
mindful of your generosity today. That, God, you have invited us to a seat at your table. That we can be accepted by you. Be chosen by you. That we belong. God, help us understand what that means. Help us to receive that rightfully. God, help us to understand this story. Help us to understand and see ourselves in Ruth. That we're outcasts. We're broken. We've got the baggage. But just as Boaz extends his generosity and says, Hey, I want you here. You belong with me now. That God has looked at us and said the same thing. He says, I see your baggage. I see your brokenness. And I love you anyways. And I'm sending my son Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin so that you can be welcomed at my table. God, I pray to help us to understand that. And God, for those of us that have received this generosity, help us to understand how to respond. Help us to, to work hard, not trying to earn our salvation, but out of a, a, a gratitude for what you've given to us, for the blessings that you've given to us. God, help us to allow that generosity and those blessings to flow right through us, to the people around us, that they would look and say, there's something different about you. And we can point to say, we've been given amazing grace from a generous God. And I want to extend that to those around me because I worship a generous God. Listen, if you've not placed your faith in Jesus yet, would you do so today? Would you pray with me and say, Dear God, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I know I'm broken. God, I don't belong at your table. God, you sent Jesus to purchase my spot, to pay my penalty, to trade places with me, to give me a place at that table that I can belong, not because of what I've done, because of what Jesus has done. God, I want you in my life now. God, I surrender to you as my Savior. I'll follow you from here forward, Jesus. Listen, if that's your prayer today, so this is what it means for us to be a Christian, to follow after Jesus. Praise God for that. Praise God for that.